Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, welcome to our second week in politics and religion. Uh, if you can, please have a pen and paper ready to use during this section. Just uh, and it's, you're not going to write like complicated stuff down, but I just want you to be able to write down uh, answers to certain questions before you go into your breakout rooms, so that you kind of have something prepared. So any kind of you can write on a napkin if you want, but just have something ready. Um, I just want to throw some reminders out that our purpose here is to help you to develop a better political awareness and to submit it to biblical principle. So we, we really want to join uh, our, our, our two different conversation worlds here um, and to do it with a lot of grace, a lot of love. We want it to be consistent. Everyone, as we talked about last week, everyone does what is right in his or her own eyes until you end up submitting that to God as the higher authority, the higher wisdom over moral principle, right? Uh, unless you say that there is a greater authority than you, you're just going to do what's right in your own eyes, and that's that's going to uh, lead to everyone going into different directions, and that, that leads to a lot of fighting. And yet still, even when Christians do their best to submit to God as the higher authority and the higher wisdom, uh, they do their best to discern the proper application of biblical values and biblical principles, oftentimes still they run into disagreement even with each other. And so uh, we want to be able to develop the ability to listen and to withhold judgment until we have a full understanding and then at that point to still proceed with love and with grace and stuff. Um, we, want to, we want to be able to promote that ability, right? To discuss something peacefully and maturely and constructively uh, to help arrive at and invite to the truth. So I want to show you a, a, a verse. Um, let me see if I can if I could do this here. Uh, verse is going to be 1 Peter 3.15. And, uh, and it says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Um, the reason why I point that out is because look how the, uh, the Apostle Peter tells us that we, uh, we're supposed to be able to talk to people, people who disagree with us, we're supposed to be uh, able to talk to them about the gospel. And uh, if we're supposed to be able to handle a conversation that has to do with eternal stakes and eternal values and eternal destinies, if we're supposed to handle that conversation in a civil manner, then we should certainly be able to handle anything of lesser stakes and lesser values and, and lesser permanence with, uh, with even greater poise. Right. Um, the, the Apostle Paul will say that, too. You're, you know, if you're going to judge angels and you're going to judge the world, you should be able to judge civil matters. He says that in First Corinthians, right, in, uh, in I think, First Corinthians 5. But uh, from this passage that we talked about in First Peter 3, uh, clearly we should not get all riled up or, or triggered so easily by people who revile us with words. And we especially should not get bent out of shape when people hate us because we follow Christ. So even our political discussions and things, because these still come from uh, from a, a submission to Jesus's lordship, it's going to get us into moments where we're going to get reviled, and our job is not to imitate the world and start you know start hating back, but uh, when when people say awful things at you, 
simply because you follow Jesus. Uh, that's where you got to go. Blessed are those who are, you know, insulted and, and persecuted and have false evil spoken against them because of Jesus, right? Uh, rejoice and be glad. Great is your reward, right? That's what Jesus says in Matthew 5. So God is saying it's better for you to just suffer for doing good rather than to become just like them and start uh, start hating and reviling back in, in evil. So the point of this study then is to teach us to be prepared to give reasons for what we believe. You know, not just about the gospel, but how the gospel plays out in, in the society that we construct, right? To, to be prepared to give a reason for, uh, for what we believe uh, and to do it with gentleness and with respect in good conscience, right? And, and then, of course, to not be shaken when uh, people who disagree say awful things, certainly not to resort to their behavior. Okay, well, today's topic is, uh, is the economy and, and government's role in, in how, uh, how economy plays out and what we do with our money and all that kind of stuff. So it's a broad topic. And, uh, and the, the problem is simple. The, the question that we would ask ourselves is basically, how do we solve poverty? And I want to uh, start you off with the thought experiment on this, okay? Uh, the, spot, the thought experiment on the money problem is going to have to do with a person named, uh, named Jane. We're just going to go with this. And this is inspired by a conversation that I saw online between Representative Katie Porter and the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, but let's talk, let's talk about this hypothetical woman named Jane. Jane is single and she has two kids. Uh, Jane earns $16.50 per hour and she works 40 hours a week, full-time job, and she works 52 weeks a year, so no vacation. She gets $750 a year for uh, an annual bonus for Christmas. So let's, uh, let's total that up and it comes out to $35,070 per year. Okay, that's where she's at. Now, uh, remove about 18% of that, I think, uh, from taxes. Okay, and so what she'll have is $29,100 yearly that she can spend because taxes have been removed. If you divide that by 12, because there are 12 months in a year, her monthly spendable money is $2,425. Now, let's do some of her, her bill payments, right? Uh, let's subtract $1,600 for rent at her apartment. And then let's, uh, let's subtract $100 for utilities. And then we'll subtract 250 for her car, her car payment. Uh, we'll subtract another 150 for gas, and then uh, we'll subtract 400 for low-cost budget food, right? Um, like this is, it's like I, I put ramen noodles there to to just say that like this is really the uh, the cheap stuff. It's not going to be like gourmet, nothing organic, nothing gluten-free. You know, you're not going to be paying a premium on any of that kind of stuff. Um, let's take away another $40 for a Cricket cell phone which is like the, those cheapest month-by-month uh, -month payments that you can do for, uh, uh, for your own cell phone that has uh, data. And then uh, subtract another $450 for after-school childcare since she is working full-time and when her kids are done with, uh, with school, they need to go somewhere, so she has to pay for after-school childcare. This results in $567 shortfall from her monthly uh, her monthly budget like it, it totals up too much that uh, that she can't she can't pay this much money every month 
Um, and so the question is, what, like, what does she do with this, right? And uh, this budget does not include any money to buy clothes, no money to buy school lunches, no money to, uh, to pay for field trips for her kids, nothing for anything medical, certainly not medical insurance or uh, not a copay or anything like that, nothing dental, uh, no prescription medications, no, like for instance, no glasses, no contact lenses, nothing like that either, uh, no toys, so no Christmas presents, no birthday presents, uh, no haircuts, no cleaning supplies, no auto insurance, etc. So in uh, in this money problem, uh, you have this this uh, person named Jane who has two kids. She makes six sixteen fifty an hour, uh, and she's working every week forty hours without vacation, and uh, and she comes short uh, by by five hundred sixty seven dollars every month. How are you going to solve this? How do you propose to fix this problem, not just for this person, Jane, but for all the people in Jane's situation out there? How do you plan to fix this problem for all the Janes in the United States of America? So I want to give you 60 seconds right now to, uh, to just think and, uh, and formulate your answer. I'm handing the controls over to John Wood and he's going to throttle you into your breakout rooms whenever you're ready. But, uh, but before you go into your breakout rooms, take like 60 seconds to write down your solution on how you can fix the money problem for Jane and then John will send you out. Okay, welcome back everybody. Um, the question was, uh, how do you solve the problem for uh, for James in the United States? And so we're going to throw this question over at Chris, who's back with us. And so, Chris, how would you solve, or what are the different ways that people have proposed solutions for James' situation here? All right. So clearly, this is uh, an issue that has been talked about um, a lot. Uh, so there are four uh, of the most popular uh, solutions to this that I'm going to very quickly kind of go over. Uh, the first would be uh, to raise uh, worker wages. Um, that is uh, one of the ones that are very commonly uh, thrown out there. Um, it's often uh, tied to the, co the conversation about raising minimum wage. And um, yeah, because of the big wealth gap between the, you know, the CEOs of the corporations and the workers, uh, one of the big solutions that they propose is, hey, why not just pay these workers more so that they are able to uh, have a have the money to provide for the quality of life that they um, not only want but need. Uh, but with all of these solutions, I'm also going to be giving drawbacks. The arguments against this is that uh, simply uh, paying more uh, people, uh, especially in the conversation of uh, raising minimum wage, there's a lot of economic risks such as inflation. Uh, if you put more money out there, the value of that money will decrease and therefore things will start costing more and more. Um, another uh, potential uh, drawback to this would be that these businesses cut jobs um, and uh, these businesses will find easier or quicker ways to get the job done which might lead to more automation uh, which is basically not having to pay employees to do something that a machine can do. Uh, currently um, in, a, in California for small businesses uh, minimum wage is $12, but for big businesses, minimum wage is $13, but by 2023, it'll be $15 across the board in California. Uh, so that's one of the uh, proposed solutions. Uh, the second proposed solution is, you know what, instead of 
raising workers' wages, what if we lowered uh, income taxes and we just collected less tax, even less that, than we currently do uh, for people that are making not as much, that can't pay for what they need. Um, if you look at the scenario with Jane specifically that ran kind of throughout there, uh, her income tax was about 18%, and we have to be aware that that income tax comes from both a federal tax as well as a state tax. For all of us uh, that are working, you'll, you'll see that in your paycheck you're getting taxed. Uh, there are a lot of different uh, reasons that your paycheck isn't um, you know, as much as you expected. Uh, but that's definitely one of the proposed solutions where they, they say, you know what, maybe we should not collect as much tax on these people who are you know, of uh, greater need. Uh, the drawbacks to this though, however, is, is I mean, by not, ex by not collecting as much tax, you could make the argument that the government might not provide the services or, or have enough to provide the services that these people need. Um, that includes, you know, healthcare. Uh, that includes um, welfare. Uh, various uh, things that are set up to help out the lower uh, income individuals. Uh, so government cutbacks might be a drawback to this. Um, a third proposed solution. It's very similar, but it's important to kind of realize the difference. But one of the things that is proposed is what if we lowered the taxes on businesses? So if businesses were taxed as much then they would be able to pay their employees more. So it's kind of like, almost like a combo of the first two, where they think, oh, if the businesses themselves didn't have to pay the government as much and they had the money, then they're going to, uh, it's the idea of the trickle-down effect, they're going to give more money to their employees. And, I mean, there are merits to this as well. Uh, we saw this uh, during uh, this current administration where Donald Trump uh, lowered the business tax and it, it created, one, a lot of jobs where we had the lowest unemployment rate in the country since the Vietnam War. And it also, uh, there, was a, there was a time when uh, various companies, various corporations, like Disney was one of the big ones where they were just giving their employees $1,000 more a year. So that's one of the things that's also proposed. But a drawback to this, however, is if you give it to the hands of the corporations, there's always the risk that that corporation might not trickle down and they might just line their pockets and get richer. And the CEOs and the shareholders are the only people that kind of make it out net positive from this. And then the final proposed solution that has been getting a lot of steam very recently, especially uh, during, the, during this pandemic, is the idea of a UBI or a universal base, uh, basic income. Now, what is a UBI? The proposed solution in this case is that um, every uh, American citizen would be, or every American adult would get a check for $1,000 every month. And that $1,000 check would be specifically so that you can pay for your essential needs, whether that's like things that can help you out with food, utilities, rent, like that. The idea of those $1,000 would not just be to sit in your savings, but it would be specifically to help out the things that you need to survive, your essentials. Now, there's a lot of questions about, well, is $1,000 enough? In certain places, $1,000 goes further than others. But if we go back to the idea of this, and then um, the specific, the drawbacks to this, the UBI, the idea of giving every American adult $1,000 a month, 
it is a very expensive idea and the cost of it will be cuts to a lot of currently existing government programs such as Social Security, uh, the ideas um, of the uh, Obamacare. Um, their cuts have to come somewhere and so most likely the things that currently exist that are for social services would be cut in order to replace with the idea of giving you know, every American citizen $1,000 a month. Um, I apologize for uh, the typo there. That fourth option should say universal basic income, not universe basic income. But if the entire universe got the same income, that would truly be universal. So I stand by it. Okay. Um, the, the Bible does have a little bit of an instance on how God answers the money problem back in the time of Israel uh, when the book of Leviticus was written. This is when Moses was leading uh, the uh, the people of Israel out of slavery. Uh, he freed them from, from Egypt by the power of God and is, is taking them through the wilderness into the promised land. Um, and uh, we get to uh, we get to Leviticus 19. I'll show it to you uh, right here. Verse 9. It says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, your God. Now that's what, uh, what God says in order to uh, provide. Um, it, it, it's his measure on how he's going to answer this problem of poverty. Uh, what do you do for Jane if, uh, if she can't make ends meet? Well, uh, back in the time of Israel, when God set up the, the government, it was run by his laws. These were not man-made laws. These were God-given laws. Um, he made provisions for the poor and for the sojourner, which is the, the foreigner or the immigrant. And uh, for poor people, it included widows and orphans. They also are, are considered um, those who can't uh, they, they don't uh, make income for themselves. Uh, they didn't have jobs. So if, if you look at those verses, uh, it tells you a few things. And it's specifically to landowners, which at that time, those were either business owners or rich people. You could think of them as the same way, because if you owned land, you were rich and you owned a, a business because the land was your business. So landowners, you could harvest um, you could harvest from your field, but you're not allowed to harvest right up to the edge. So you have to leave some on the edges uh, for poor people and, and, and immigrants to harvest from there. So uh, how much of the edge you have to leave was nonspecific. And so that was actually based on your generosity. You can choose to leave, I don't know, the, you know, the, the plant on the very border, or you could choose to leave like a good 10 feet of plants on the border, depending on how much uh, acreage you had, et cetera, of land, right? But um, uh, you couldn't harvest all the way up to the edge, uh, and uh, you could decide how much you wanted to leave for the poor and for the, the immigrant. Uh, another thing that, that is there in those verses is that you can only harvest once from the field, right? So when you go through, you only harvest the ripe stuff, right? And, uh, and anything that's not fully ripened yet, you leave it there. And as it ripens over time, that's not for you to go back and get uh, by harvesting again from your field. You let the poor and the, the immigrant go through and pick those as they ripen. So that was a, a provision throughout the field that, you, you know, anything that you didn't pick on the first pass is not yours. Um, and then the third one is that 
you couldn't glean anything that dropped to the ground. So that could happen in, in one of two ways. Um, as you're picking from the vineyard, your grapes and stuff, you, you gather a bundle and you use your sickle on it. Um, some would just fall to the ground. Some you're holding in your hand and some fall to the ground. What hits the ground, you leave on the ground. And then you, what's in your hand, you put in your basket. Uh, also, if your basket were, were mounding up and, uh, and you know there's a big pile on top, then things might fall off. What hits the ground, you leave on the ground. And so uh, that means that you have an excess, right? This, this would only happen when you have a lot. And so when you have excess, it's left on the ground for anyone who's, who's poor or an immigrant to go through and pick up. Now, poor people and Im uh, immigrants, the thing that they had in common was they didn't own land, so they didn't have jobs unless they, were, they became servants, slaves. Uh, so the provisions in these laws made sure that they would have food, right? To, to make sure that there was, there was always a thought in those who had much to make provisions for those who have little. Uh, every, every government tries to take care of the poor, but in the ancient societies of the Near East, this was the only ancient government that provided for the foreigner and the immigrant. Uh, so this was part of what distinguished Israel from the other nations. And so foreigners that came to Israel for, uh, for refuge, oftentimes they found that Israel was extremely hospitable um, and that that uh, compelled some uh, to become proselyte Jews. They would convert religiously into Judaism. Um, God was, uh, was setting something up here. The way that Israel took care of the poor and the way that Israel took care of, uh, of foreigners and sojourners and immigrants was, uh, was of a higher caliber than the other nations. He was providing at a higher standard of provision and care, and it was known that Israel would take care of such people. Uh, or at least they were supposed to. They didn't always uh, obey those laws, and then, uh, you know, that forfeited uh, a whole bunch of uh, blessing in the in the land. But something to keep in mind is that uh, uh, this this uh, provision for the poor and the immigrant these were not free handouts. Okay, because I think people can jump the gun on this and be like, "See, we need to just tax the rich and then turn that into welfare." Uh, and that is one position that, uh, that people argue, but uh, the laws here don't necessarily say that. These aren't free handouts. The poor people and the, uh, the immigrants, they had to work for their food, meaning they had to go through those fields and pick it themselves. Right? It, it, it's not that rich people had to harvest everything and then give it to the poor. It's that uh, they, they harvested uh, what they did on their first pass and anything that touched the ground, they left and, uh, and they didn't touch the edges. And then the poor and the foreigner would come and they would work for their own food. That's what uh, what it was doing. So God wasn't uh, breaking his own principles. If you remember in Genesis 3.19, he says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Right, that's that's something that he declared on mankind, that if you, if you want to eat, if you want food, if you want payment, uh, you have to work for it. And he was not violating that particular uh, principle there. In 2 Thessalonians 3.10, the Apostle Paul says, if anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat, right? If, if you're not willing to work, it's not if you can't work because you're, uh, you're uh, disabled in some way. It's if you're not willing to work, meaning you are able-bodied, you can work, but you choose not to, uh, then you shouldn't eat. So it's important to see that God prioritized provisions for the poor and for the, uh, for the immigrants, uh, but the rich didn't have to do the work 
and then give that to the poor. That's not the way that that system worked, right? Jobs were provided in a sense, right? The poor people could come in and glean for themselves. Um, jobs were provided. So now we have this tension. Do we simply increase welfare or do we empower corporations? And, you know, how, like, how do we apply this today? How do we apply the principles that, uh, that God used, right? Because in, in God's economy, in Leviticus, uh, the rich did not profit off the provision for the poor. Right? It's not like they hired them and then made profit off of what the poor were doing. Uh, the rich did not profit from the provision for the poor. And if anything, this cost the rich people because they couldn't harvest everything and sell it all. They couldn't go back and harvest a second time and sell it all. They couldn't harvest at the edges and sell all that. Right, So this did cost them and they didn't profit off of uh, off of the the poor so it it was a it was an odd tension there was an obligation on the rich but provision for the poor didn't depend just on generosity right like there there were laws that were set in that rich people had to make sure that poor people were provided for and there was room for generosity so you were there was there was both is it generosity of the rich people yes they, they decide how much of the edge they leave. But then is there also a, a governmentally uh, enforced measure? Uh, there was in this time. And uh, and then it is it falls on the Christian then ask, does that, uh, is that a principle we need to apply today? Right, the, the provisions for the poor and for the immigrant functioned more like a tax back in that day than it did a charity. It was something that was enforced by the government. It was, you know, it, it was a law. Um, and it, it meant that everyone had a right to access the means of provision that God created, namely the land. Everyone had a right to land. You know, like today, like um, uh, everyone has a right to water. You know, you, uh, people can bottle water and sell it and stuff, but, but we all have a right to water. You're not really supposed to privatize water. Um, and that's because that's just something that everyone has a right to. And that's that's kind of the idea in... Uh, in Leviticus here. Everyone has a right to land. They're allowed to eat from the land because God created it and he created it to feed people. Now, this uh, this passage doesn't answer everything, right? It it uh, it provides certain direction, but it certainly provokes a lot of questions just as much as it starts to answer them, right? Can governments control farmland? Is that, is, is that okay? Um, what contemporary means of provision must we provide today uh, instead of just harvesting from farms? Because uh, last time we checked, there were no farms uh, in the city of L.A., right? Like, who's going to glean in a farm in New York City? Um, education might be more of an answer. Like, we make education something that's available. That's the provision. So we make sure every poor person and every, every immigrant uh, has access to education. But does this mean we provide education for the poor and for the foreigner uh, all the way up to, to college, all the way up to, to graduate school? You know, what exactly does that mean? And does that mean do we also provide lodging for them for education, etc.? cetera? Um, this even asks the question about affirmative action. Do we need to do things like that for people of different uh, cultural backgrounds, different countries that they come from? Because uh, if, if God had concerns for the sojourner, for the immigrant, uh, should we? And how do we apply that? Ultimately, it, uh, the, the base answer, it comes down to uh, the idea that uh, owners of productive assets, so rich people and business owners, are obligated 
in, in God's economy, in the time of Leviticus, they were obligated to ensure that marginalized people, such as the poor and the, the immigrant, uh, that marginalized people have the opportunity to work for a living. That was important to God, that, uh, that a, a proper society, a, a godly society, would make sure that those who are rich ensured that there were provisions and opportunities for those who were poor, right? Uh, well, let's, uh, let's move on on this, Chris. Right, so we just talked about uh, how, or I guess the principles uh, in the Bible and um, how we can internalize and see that in practice. And so one of the things that I want to talk about um, is, well, then what does that look like in our government today? And so um, I'm going to be speaking for a little longer uh, than I'm used to, but uh, I guess one of the things that are, is going to guide me is I'm going to be asking three uh, major questions that you will hopefully take a second to uh, write and think about, then that will be what kind of fuels you into the breakout room at the end of this session. Um, but first we're going to be talking about the idea of uh, the merits of the private sector versus the public sector. Now what do I mean by the private sector versus the public sector? Well I mean uh, specifically when I speak about the private sector I mean for profit. Um, companies that are doing goods and uh, offering goods and services specifically by uh, raising money, establishing uh, certain infrastructures, uh, providing these goods and services, and then collecting revenue and building a business. Whereas in the public sector, it would be uh, state-run. The government would uh, be in charge of establishing these things. They would be tax-funded. Uh, and so uh, we want to first talk about um, the merits of both the private as well as the public sphere. Now, of course, we live in a society where there are things that are privatized and there are things that are in the public sphere. Uh, but let's talk specifically. So in the private sector, because all things are motivated by profit and the free market, I mean, it's, the, in, it's built into the nature of capitalism, uh, there is an efficiency uh, that isn't seen in the public sphere. Uh, because if it's not producing uh, revenue, if it's not directly uh, uh, like attached to the best business model or making money, uh, it is probably going to fall back and you know, it might be uh, outcompeted by other companies that are offering similar services. Now, of course, America, there are um, anti-monopoly laws, antitrust laws that provide for enough competition. Uh, we kind of need that for a capitalistic system to work. But uh, the idea is, is that taxes aren't required to allow for uh, the private sector to flourish. Now, one of the drawbacks to the private sector is, is that if the economy is doing poorly and there is a recession, then there is a direct and immediate impact where that might uh, be seen in, uh, in layoffs and it might be seen in unemployment rises. And as we saw during this COVID season, you know, our unemployment uh, has rocketed up uh, due to the recession. And so obviously there isn't as much security when it comes to times of hardship in the private sector. Now in the public sector, uh, because the public sector is provided on providing uh, services and needs that are for the general public, uh, it does have the drawback of not being as efficient as something that is profit-driven, but it is not as directly inf influenced by hardships economically. Now, I'll give you some examples of uh, some public services that we are uh, seeing in our lives versus some pr uh, private ones. Some public services that we see are uh, 
Well, first, uh, some, some some public services include like infrastructure, law enforcement, um, education, uh, the services provided at the DMV. Uh, private services would be our phone and internet companies that we pay. Uh, toll roads, uh, airports are also uh, privately funded. And so currently, uh, we have this diagram up here. Uh, it is kind of a um, what does the public sector, uh, what are they in charge of by different types of government? And so currently, um, we are living in that red circle, in the modern conservatism circle. Uh, just by the definition of conservatism, it means we don't want things to change. And so it's the status quo. And so everything within the red circle is what is how our country currently works. These are services that are provided uh, by the state, funded by our taxes, but everything outside of the circle is provided by the by privatized uh, services, pri uh, the private sector. So we would be able to, you know, buy our food at various companies and corporations. You know, we are uh, go able to go to various colleges that compete, you know, to allow for us to pay for going there. However, inside the circle, such as you know, K through 12 education. You know, that is a service that our tax-paying dollars goes into funding. Um, so this is just a visual to help you guys see. These are like kind of the four uh, most popular uh, and suggested like forms of government in the conversation today. Now, obviously, like socialism, this is like full-blown socialism where the state, you know, establishes and like provides food for the people, clothing, housing. And then libertarianism is like as stripped down, uh, taking out all the services that um, the uh, government is currently providing socially. Uh, but while we're here, the big thing I want to kind of throw out and ask, this, is, this would be question one, would be how free should we be able to spend our money? And the opposite of that question, I guess that's related is, should the government have a bigger portion of uh, our funds and should they provide for more public services um, and then uh, some questions that might be tied in is how does stewardship apply to our taxes and I ask that specifically because Jesus is very clear Jesus he's asked well should we pay taxes and he and he gives the answer you know look at the coin give to Caesar what is Caesar's now what if and I'm asking what if because this is the world we live in but what if we were able to have a voice and actually influence, well, what does Caesar control? You know, and I know by Caesar in this case, I mean specifically our government, which is a democratic republic, which we are able to, I guess, input our voices. And so, yeah, the big question there is, is we are obviously supposed to pay our taxes, but what should our taxes fund? What do we want our taxes to fund? Okay. After that question, so that's, that's question one. Hopefully you have written that down and you're able to think about that, chew on that a little bit. Um, currently, the tax system that we uh, live in in America, uh, it is stratified. Now, what I mean by that is there are tax brackets, both federally and in our state. Now, if you make a certain amount, you're taxed a certain percentage. If you make a different amount, you're taxed a different percentage. The big question I want to ask uh, for us about 
the idea of um, tax brackets and tax rates. And this would be question two is, if we are taxed differently at differing incomes, okay, does that fit what we, what we define as just or fair or equal? And then this is like a bigger question. Are you okay with people paying more than they receive in services? Are you okay with people paying less than they receive in services? And what if you were the person in either scenario? If you are the person paying more than you receive versus if you're the person paying less than you receive, how does that change the way you personally look at government? Is, there, is one better than the other? Are they both necessary? How do we think about these differing tax rates? Now, of course, it is a much more complicated scenario than just simply, oh, like, this is the way it should be, and this is the way it has to be. And of course, there's a lot more to it. This is like the surface level question. Uh, but the idea of all of this comes from the idea that people are making different amounts of money. And this is going to be an inevitable thing that happens in a system that is based off of capitalism, based off the free market. There will be people who are undoubtedly more successful than others. And you can, you know, have, you can point to a lot of different reasons. They actually legitimately might provide a better service. Most of the time that's the case. There are other times where they might have had just a big leg up on the competitors. They might have had better access to this or that, or they were in the right place at the right time. And, or they just started up, they started uh, the race, you know, faster than the others or more ahead. There are all of these different scenarios that cause discrepancies in the amount of money that people make and therefore the amount of money that people get taxed. One of the things that I do want to make clear though is, is the idea of privatizing these economies, that these businesses, is it lends itself to there being winners and losers. Now, what I mean by that is let's talk specifically about some companies that we are familiar, familiar with. Uh, I'll say specifically like Nike, Apple, Microsoft, H&M, they're all businesses that we see in our day-to-day -day lives. They're pretty commonly seen. Now, I'm, I'm specifically bringing up these four because these four uh, businesses are businesses that have been caught. It is confirmed that they have used child labor in various countries to produce the products that they provide. Now, the, the why that happens is based upon the idea of minimizing costs and maximizing revenue. You know, if they're able to provide a good by um, not paying as much in terms of the labor or in terms of, you know, how much uh, time or whatever uh, that is preventing them from providing as much as possible, then they are able to, in a free market society, go to a different country where the uh, labor laws are not as strict and where child labor is not illegal and where um, there isn't a 40-hour work week, you know, an 80-hour work week is normal. Like these are things that are bound to occur when profit is the main objective. Now, because these uh, services or because these companies are able to get labor as cheap as they do, and of course, child labor is not the only type of cheap labor. The prison systems provide very cheap labor. 
Um, I mean, that's like the first and big one that comes to mind. But uh, if these companies are not digging into these resources, then the services that we, we are able to get would not be as cheap and convenient as they are. Now, we might say like, oh, what do you mean? Like the iPhone is like $1,000. Nike sells their shoes for $200. Like this isn't cheap. But knowing that they have a way to price and they know how much they'll sell, of course, they're using the ideas of supply and demand to charge a price that they know people will pay for. Now, if they were not able to pay as low as they do for the labor, then these things that we take for granted in our daily lives for being cheap, they will undoubtedly be more expensive. You know? And so we have to kind of uh, be able to see and seek out and realize where in our lives we are finding leeway to be like, oh, I am benefiting because this is so cheap. And then we have to ask, is this something that is worth the quote-unquote, the human rights, uh, you know, breaks that is happening, or is it not? And then also we have to ask, well, is it, you know, providing something that's good for the people there? Is it something that is good for the economy of these other nations, which has proved to be the case, even though, of course, the restrictions-wise, they're not the same as we are. And so, of course, there is, there are a big range of different industry practices uh, that occur, but we want to make sure that we are aware of why the prices are as convenient and as cheap as they are. All of us have cell phones and all of us do like wear name brand clothes and shoes and you know we do take advantage of the system. Now the next question, question three, the final question that I'm going to ask is so knowing that the system it is how it is and knowing that we as people pour directly into this, there are clearly going to be people that make a lot of money. There are going to be billionaires. There are going to be people that come out making huge profit. You know, and again, we are feeding into the system as well. Now, the third and final question that we're going to address is, is should there be billionaires? Knowing that what we know about the situation with Jane, you know, the, the situation that we open with. Should there be such a big income inequality, such a big discrepancy between the people that make as much as they do versus the people that don't even make enough to pay for their essential needs throughout the throughout a month? And so uh, before we go into that, I'm going to just very quickly, hopefully without losing you guys, uh, give you a few statistics. Um, so in America, the median a household income so it means like we mean like a house it might be two parents and two kids it might be one parent it might be two people working it might be one people one person working but the median household income in America as as you know as soon as 2019 was 60k $60,000 a year the poverty line and what I mean by poverty line is we're talking about the Jane situation where you need to make on average in America at least 26,000 to pay for your essential services and needs in California, however, the median, median income is 75K and the poverty line is at 38K. And Jane, in that situation that we saw, she made under 38K, which is why she wasn't able to pay for the needs that you know, she uh, absolutely needs to survive. And so 
specifically in California, I mean, there's such a big difference, you know, 26 nationally versus 38 in our state alone. Now, there's a reason why California has a huge homeless population. And in terms of the, uh, there's a term called the functional poverty rate, which means the people that aren't making enough money uh, to pay for the services. America, uh, in California, California, we're sitting at 18% of our working force is not able. There are 18% of working individuals that are Janes in, in our state. And so, uh, what should the government do about this issue? Now, we, talk, we took some time to talk about all the possibilities and different solutions that have been presented. But we are bringing all these things up because they do matter and they do have a direct implication for a big fraction of the people who live in our state as well as our entire country. And so, uh, I'm going to bring up uh, one image here. And this is an image that you guys might have seen uh, pretty recently. And um, it's usually tied to the idea of uh, the race question, which we'll go into next week. But hopefully you guys have seen this around this image that talks about equality versus equity. And the idea here is, is that um, in an equal world, where if, if we're looking for e equality, then everyone stands on one box. And then the people who are uh, privileged with, at least in this image, with the advantage of height, they're able to see what they need to see. And if you are not, if you're disadvantaged, then you are not. And then there's also equity, which is the idea that, you know what, we need to provide a, a way to allow for all people to be able to, you know, watch the game. Now, the idea here, and this is a term uh, that you'll hear a lot amongst the more conservative economists is are we looking for the equality of opportunity or the equality of outcome so specifically the left uh, is talking about the equality of opportunity everyone has the same box whereas on the right we're talking about equality of outcome everyone is able to watch the game now this I think fits a lot more into the idea of income disparity than it does about race specifically but again we're going to talk about that more next week as well and how they are related but here's a little uh expanded image that kind of goes into the the ideas and the concepts that we talked about today so the idea that we want to talk about too is, is so the the world the system that we are economically in the free market capitalist system the idea here is, is that hey what are they doing they're trying to watch a game without paying for it and so if we maximize the emphasis on profit, then these people should not be able to watch this game for free and they should not be able to have the service at all. And then also uh, the fourth box that we're going to see here, um, this is something that, again, fits more specifically into the idea of uh, what, I guess, the equity in practice looks like. One of the questions that we have to ask in this picture specifically is what do these boxes represent? You know, we see this around and we go, oh yeah, the boxes, everyone should be able to see. So yeah, give us more boxes, give us the boxes we need. But what are the boxes? If we think about the government specifically, right? The boxes are services provided by the public uh, sector, AKA our governments, uh, what they do with our taxes. But where are the taxes coming from? They don't just come out of nowhere. They come from the people that need to 
the people that pay their taxes. And so what is that actually? Well, it comes from various people. You know, it doesn't just pop out of thin air. And so, again, this is kind of like a lighthearted joke on this uh, image that you might have seen floating around. But this is also something that we should be aware of the different types of ideas that are out there and why little images that seem like, oh, that's what's fair, that's what's just, that's what's right, could be misleading as well. And so, um, with those three questions in mind, again, I'll, I'll, I think the, the questions are in the chat, but I'll like repeat kind of like an overarching kind of what the questions is, what the questions are. Um, it's what question one, um, how much should I be able to do things with my money versus the government? Question two, um, are we okay with some people paying more taxes and some people paying less and some people receiving more and some people receiving less? And then income disparity. Should there be billionaires when we clearly have such a big chunk of our uh, population living under the poverty line unable to pay for their essential needs? And so I think we're going to be going into a breakout room now to discuss these issues. Now, I know that there's a lot of issues and it was a big, uh, broad spectrum of the things that we've talked about. Uh, but yeah, we're going to give you guys some time now to kind of think about these things. Think about whether these are, uh, well, how we can apply what the Bible says about um, being generous and giving to our system of government and is the way it's run now okay should it be better if it needs to be better how can it be improved we kind of want to encourage these types of questions and these types of conversations okay John whenever you're ready um, just send them out into the break rooms and then uh, when we get back we'll we'll wrap it up okay um, I'm I'm hoping uh, we're both hoping that uh, in your breakout discussions that uh, that's like a good practice ground for you to be able to listen well to people who might have different opinions than you. Um, but our, you know, like really what we want uh, you to walk away with is not an opinion that you have. We don't want you to just walk away thinking what we think, right? Uh, we want you to be able to think comprehensively, think critically, think carefully, and of course think biblically through every issue. See what matters to God. And then ask yourself, how would that apply in our society today? You know, what do we uh, what do we do with that, and how do we construct our society given the opportunities that we have? Um, as a Christian, you know, what do you do with all this? God has established that you clearly have a right to own property. That's for sure. Uh, that's why He says, uh, "You shall not steal," because everyone should own their own stuff. Um, he also commands the rich to be generous. He does that in 1 Timothy 6. And Jesus says that God rewards uh, your charity, your giving to the needy. That's in Matthew 6. Um, so we got all this information to, to you know, put together and, and, and deal with. Uh, we have to balance our obligation to all people in society, you know, our obligation to the poor and stuff. Um, and we have to uh, uphold the requisite that everyone should work for his or her own food, you know, for his or her own pay. Um, that you work, and that's how you how you make your living. Uh, assuming you're able to work again, that, that it's a different case when someone is disabled, and there, you know, we can we can move into that 
conversation on a different day. But um, but all of this, how do you, how do you do it? What what will you do? What is uh, what is in your mind? Is it that you want to give everyone an equal opportunity and then let the pieces fall where they will, or do you start putting all the resources uh, in in varying degrees to different people so that you get the equal outcome? What is it that uh, that you're trying to do? Do you allow for uh, billionaires to exist, which can only happen if you allow for a large poverty class to exist, or do you middle everything out where where the government takes a large portion? The more that someone makes, the more the government takes away and uh, and then redistributes it, to, it and stuff. These are all things that Christians need to think through and do their best to come to the most God-honoring decision uh, that they believe is uh, is best for society, and then vote in that direction. And for anyone that uh, that you speak to about these kinds of issues, understand why you believe what you believe. Understand why you you hold your position. You know uh, how does this honor God? How does this uh, display His heart for uh, for the United States of America? And in doing that, then uh, then even if they disagree, be able to speak with gentleness and respect, and uh, and then if if that ends up with you getting slammed and insulted a little bit, that it's okay, you know that's okay. Uh, if you're doing this for the Lord, suffer for the Lord, do it with great dignity, right? Well, that's it, and we uh, we are ending a little bit. Uh, we're pushing the clock here, so we're gonna um, table the questions until next time. We're gonna take more time to collect questions, and then when we have extra time, we will use the extra time to answer those questions. But for now, we're gonna end it for for the night. And so, uh, Chris, did you want to say one final thing? I think uh, John is also going to be introducing um, something uh, for a forum that the people who have come and participated uh, they can join and discuss. I think John will help uh, explain it better than I can. Cool. Um, thanks, Chris. So essentially, you know, in our discussion time, it's, it's a very short and brief time for us to try digest all the information and even come up with some ideas or our thoughts and opinions on something. Um, and so I think that we need a place to dialogue in a way that is safe um, in a way where we know other believers were on the same page and we are applying what we have, you know, gained from each session and things that we are gathering throughout the week. You know, we're not just like going through all this political news ourselves and research and everything, but um, we're able to, to share through it and, you know, ask other people's opinions like, hey, this is what I'm getting from it. What do you think? Um, so what I created was um, a private Facebook group and essentially... Um, you can just post, you know, whatever resource or questions you are coming across. And um, I've organized them into these things called units. Facebook allows certain groups to, to have like more of like an organized way of, of um, categorizing things. And if you're learning something, so if you go to units, uh, I'm using like the new Facebook, I think the old Facebook will have it on the sidebar over here, but Anyways, find units, um, or it will be in the discussion feed. And if you don't use it correctly, it's not a big deal. I'm not going to be a Nazi about it. I just wanted to be like, oh, no, I crashed. Uh, I just wanted to have a place where people are not just, like, you know, stuck alone and trying to figure things out by themselves. This is terrible. <laughs>
that's what happens when you when you demo something live. But all right. So, anyways, I will be um, adding you guys. Um, sorry for seeing my personal feed. Uh, I'll be adding you guys to here, or I'll put it in our in our Facebook group, and you, you can join yourself. Request to join yourself. Um, yeah, and and essentially, like every week has a unit, and you can um, like post things about this week uh, that come to mind. But if you're already like seeing other things on the news, uh, like I came across um, a podcast episode about immigration, and that's in this additional topics. You know, I hit C unit, and then um, there's just stuff here, categories here. I start posting it, and we get a dialogue about it, right? Okay, so uh, be on the lookout for that, and, and message me if you need help. Thank you, guys. All right, uh, that should be it. And uh, by the way, we're on the fence on whether or not we're titling this money and economy or economy and government. I think we're leaning toward economy and government, and so... Sorry, John Wood, if, uh, if we could retitle that one. Anyway, all right, let's close in prayer, everybody. Father, thank you so much that uh, that we have an opportunity to uh, to come together and uh, and speak about the importance of politics uh, and how to uh, to best honor you and worship you by how we exercise our right to vote and how we talk about uh, society and, and where it should go and how we can construct one that is uh, that is best for for your people. Um, we pray, God, that uh, that you would keep us sober-minded in all this and uh, with gentleness and respect so that as we speak, uh, we are not threatened by people who disagree, um, but we always, with patience, will invite people to truth and will do our best to always remain teachable and uh, and see the full picture of, of all the information and to think carefully, critically, and biblically through it. Uh, bless your people, Lord, with uh, with keen understanding. Um, help us not to be ignorant and to walk around in society saying, I don't know anything, um, but help us to uh, to understand what's going on, to have informed opinions, um, and in that way to be a light, to demonstrate that the people of God uh, are not uh, unaware of what's going on in society, but that we have uh, keen opinions and, uh, and we want to do our best uh, to take care of our fellow man. Uh, bless your church, Lord. Do it all for your glory. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.